You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunnyside Up. I'm your host, Anup. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Zach Sizinski on coaching a team. Our guest for today, Zach, has been in sales for the majority of his career. Zach started out as an SDR at Zendesk. He then helped build the consulting partner program at Xamarin and has spent the last four and a half years at Stripe in various sales roles. Currently, Zach leads a team of account executives who sell to large digitally native accounts. While Zach tries to avoid sales stereotypes, you'll find him either on the golf course or tasting a new bag of coffee, but not at his desk. Zach, super excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So my first question to you, Zach, is how do you make sure your pitch is super neat? I mean, a lot of SDRs who are listening into the podcast would be interested in this. How do you nail pitch? Yeah, great question. So something I spend a lot of time with my team on today is progressing through someone's ramp at Stripe. So I think, you know, when you're you're new to a company, you're really trying to soak in, hey, what are the products that we sell? What ultimately is a solution that I could sell? And then what are some case studies that I can reference throughout my pitch, right? And I think what that leads to is a pretty good understanding of, say, a given product and a given story. But when you progress through the sales pitch, what I often find, especially with with newer folks on my team, is that they nail each slide, but don't have a really good idea of how to transition between slides. So you have a, a customer logo slide, and you may speak about some of the customers we work with. And then you can almost hear yourself saying, okay, let's move to the next slide. Boom, you see the next slide and then it's like, okay, cool. Let's start talking about fraud prevention, right? So something that I try to really detail with my team is those inflection and transition moments and really try to unpack, hey, what you're doing when you're telling a sales pitch is really telling a story to a, a prospect. And especially today when everything is virtual and over Zoom, it's that much more important to be compelling storyteller. So nail some of those transitions. So a good example of this would be, hey, you're seeing, you know, call it 10 logos on this slide. Everyone has this type of logo slide deck in their deck. You know, we're working with all these different customers. What does that really mean for you, though? For the next few minutes, what I want to spend time talking about is how we've helped three customers in your segment solve the exact problems that you're looking to solve. And then you transition into those three case studies, but that just helps frame that pitch, right? Where you're actually telling a story as opposed to just presenting slides that are put randomly together. Okay, that's really interesting. So what about your thoughts on outcome-based sales? Can you share some insight on that? Yeah, for sure. And to be quite honest, I wish we were a little bit better at that here at Stripe. I think, you know, we as salespeople are always asking our marketing team for ROI materials and things that will really help nail the sale. And then, you know, when those ROI materials come out, it's not like our win rate doubles or something, right? And so I think it's really important to think about how to leverage those ROI materials, those mutual success plans. And where I'm going with this is at Stripe, we're 50% of the way done when we sign a net new business to Stripe. The other 50% is making sure that they're integrating 
and end up processing actual volume on Stripe. And in our sales pitch, we often talk about several initiatives that a user is looking to solve by moving to Stripe, whether that be reducing fraud, increasing their acceptance rates, maybe expanding to new markets and supporting new payment methods. Those are just examples. We have plenty more we can talk through. And so we as a team, what we try to do is take those, call it three or four main objectives and use that as our anchor throughout the entire sales process. Then when we get to the end of the sales process where we've signed the contract, we have specialists that, that help our, our users integrate Stripe onto their website or into their app. But where I'd love to see our team go and where this has been really successful is taking some of those anchor points and measuring those three or six months after a user has gone live. What this does is, is two things. One, it shows that user that we really do care about their success on Stripe and we're not just account executives trying to sell a deal. But then two, what that does is really give us as a sales team confidence to go then speak to new users and say, hey, what we did with this user is we leveraged this mutual success plan or this business case that we built together. And this is actually what we measured after they went live. And these are the reductions in fraud that they saw, or these are the new markets they were able to expand into uh, within three months of moving to Stripe. So it just helps this, I mean, I'll say a stereotypical or cliche term flywheel effect, but it gives us so much more confidence as a seller to say that we've done this before, as opposed to presenting you know, some, some random ROI materials and having a prospect have to navigate our own pre-built ROI tool. Then the actual outcome to a, a new customer definitely works. I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think we're still growing and trying to figure out how to do that here at Stripe even more effectively. But in the times that we've done it, it's really helped not just with that user, but with you know future users. Really, that's really nice way to go ahead with your uh, sales. Zach, can you explain to me the concept of transparency in sales? We had talked about this earlier, but I'd really love if you could explain this concept to our listeners. Yeah, so I came across this book through another podcast. I was listening to Todd Capone who used to lead all of sales and I believe success at, at Power Reviews. And Power Reviews, their business was to help other businesses figure out how to best present ratings and reviews, among other things, online. And they ran a study and they found, which was somewhat surprising to read, but once I unpack it, it's not actually that surprising, that we as buyers tend to buy from businesses that have ratings in between 4.3 and 4.7 stars as opposed to perfect five-star ratings. And at first I was a little skeptical and then I realized, you know, if I'm on Amazon or if I'm on Yelp and I see a perfect five-star rating, I'm a little suspicious. That's definitely fishy. Right? How many reviews are we talking about here? Hey, are these all paid reviewers? And I'm way more likely to drill into the reviews and ratings and really understand, hey, like, is something too good to be true here? And the same is true, Todd found, in B2B sales, where if we lead with all of our five-star reviews and accolades and things like that, a prospect sitting on the other side of the table or the other side of the Zoom is much more likely to be skeptical and, and try to poke holes into our argument. And so the concept of transparency sales, which I, I really appreciate in this book and have tried to apply to our sales motion, is to, in some ways, lead with those, to lead with your weaknesses, or at least be transparent and open about your weaknesses because it disarms the user so much more, the prospect, I should say. It disarms the prospect and they realize, hey, I'm talking to a human being on the other side of this. I'm not talking to a stereotypical salesperson that's trying to hide and sell me something that isn't true. And so that's the concept of, of transparency sales. Happy to go into you know, ways that we try to do this here at Stripe or just other, other aspects of the transparency sale. 
We can definitely uh, talk about those methods. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about that. Yeah, of course. So something that, that comes up quite often at Stripe is we hear that Stripe is just for startups, right? That that's common in in the industry. Well, that's just not true, right? If you look at like all of our, if you go to stripe.com slash enterprise, we have a list of tons of enterprise businesses that we're working with, tons of large businesses that we're working with. I think leading with that, and you almost lead with the defensive of saying, that's just not true, puts the prospect in a position to be much more skeptical of us. And so what we do to try to counteract that is actually lean into that and say, yeah, you know, to be honest, when Stripe started off now 10 years ago, 10 years ago, as of two days ago, which is pretty crazy how long Stripe has been around, the go-to-market and the focus was entirely on startups, right? That was very intentional. And we still are very focused on winning all of the startups. And we want every new business that's being created to, to be on Stripe. However, what we found was our, our strategy worked and these startups, Shopify, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, all grew to be much, much larger businesses and enterprise businesses. And we realized, call it four or five years ago, that if we didn't invest in our enterprise muscle, then we would lose our top users and these startups that we had set out to support. And so for the past four or five years, it's been really a big investment that Stripe has made to support these large users. And you can see from some of the new logos that we're bringing over in terms of the large enterprises that are signing up to be Stripe customers, that this strategy is also paying off. So I think that, you know, while it is, you know, sort of leaning into this startup story, I think disarms the user because we're not trying to hide from it. We're not trying to tell the user, hey, don't look over there. Instead, look over here. We're just embracing it and then trying to position it or reposition it as a strength of ours. And it is very true. I mean, it's a very authentic story, right? Shopify. DoorDash, Instacart are still customers of Stripe and they represent our largest customers. And we need to be thinking about ways to continue to work with them and continue to build for them in order to be successful with just them, but also with, or I should say, not just them, but also future enterprises, future larger businesses that want to move to Stripe. Thank you for sharing that. So Zach, my next question is something that a lot of sales leaders think almost on a daily basis. If you have a team that obviously has a lot of opportunities on hand, how do they make sure which opportunities to focus? How can you understand which opportunities are the best for you to close? What is your take on this? Yeah, for sure. I've got a few thoughts here. Something that stuck out with me early in my sales career, shout out to Skip Miller, who was our sales trainer at Stripe for a little while. He said, our role as sellers is not support. Our role as sellers is not to answer questions. And that really resonated with me because at the time I had a lot of users that were asking me questions and were inundating my inbox. But these were users that I had either previously sold or I had disqualified as part of the sales process because they weren't going to be able to work with Stripe for XYZ reason. And I realized that I was spending a lot of my time responding to these users and I wasn't spending as much time either prospecting into larger users and more strategic users, or I was also just not spending my time strategically on the deals that actually had energy and momentum. And so I think oftentimes, especially with new hires that, that join Stripe or join any new company, there's this tendency to try to act busy. And you know you have, call it 20 users that are reaching out, oh man, I'm so busy. But the reality is Stripe has an incredible support team, 24 seven free support that our team can help them with those questions. And our job as call it enterprise account executives is not to respond to all of these users and all of the small questions that they have, but instead to go after businesses and to talk to businesses about the challenges that they're faced with 
with regards to their core payment processing, with regards to subscription management, fraud prevention, launching new countries, and to work with those companies to establish a, a really fruitful relationship between both parties. And so I guess where I'm going with this as a manager is in looking at my team's pipeline, I'm all about a land and expand strategy. However, if the land is really the only piece of the business that we're going to land over the next few years, I try to challenge my team a little bit more as to, hey, you know, should we be investing that much time here? Or what is the expansion strategy? And if we don't have great answers there, probably best to either disqualify the lead or, or route them to some other team, because it's just not in our team's best interest to be focused there. So kind of like looking at only the hot opportunities to pursue that particular quarter and that specific time period. Yeah, I think there's like, yeah, absolutely. You definitely want to be spending time on, on opportunities that have energy. I'd also say that having dead time in your calendar is actually better and, and it feels uncomfortable, right? I think outbound, as we all know, is a numbers game. It's also a tough game to play because you're reaching out to all these businesses that most likely don't want to talk to you and you're trying to book meetings. And especially if you go at it for a few weeks without getting any sort of response, it can be very disappointing and a little bit demoralizing, right? Hey, why aren't these businesses wanting to talk with me? But in my opinion, that's such a higher ROI activity than talking with, call it 15 small users. Because the reality is those 15 small users have a cap as to how much revenue they will retire to your quota. And while you might be able to skate by a given quarter or two by talking to those small users, one, it's not, you know, I lead a team of senior sellers. It's not in our team's best interest to be talking to smaller users. And then two, there's only so many, you know, small use cases you can close to hit your number before that that starts to, to dry up. And so to me, I'd much rather, it's uncomfortable, right? Because you want to feel busy and productive and effective in your job. And when you're responding to users, either via email or maybe even over Slack, it, it feels good. It feels like you're having a busy week. But I, I think, to be honest, like some of the, the best weeks are the ones where you don't have any of that and you can focus entirely on prospecting into your named account list, entirely on account strategy, because those activities are going to serve you much better longer term than, you know, responding to these emails that you're getting and then feel like you're being busy. Absolutely. A lot of us have, have actually experienced this through our careers and it definitely resonates with us. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think as a, as a manager, some other things that I look for is just, you know, for instance, close dates. Something that I heard from another sales leader was just as soon as I see a deal that progresses through a certain qualification into pipeline, I'm asking the first question, why is that the close date? What's driving that close date? And so, you know, to your point, I think this is like top of funnel. Hey, like, how are you spending your time early? But then when you do have, call it five or 10 opportunities that are you know, real opportunities, that are meaningful opportunities to spend time on, something that I try to coach with my team is what is driving that close date? Because we rarely ask that question. I think having been in the sales role, you know, you have a few conversations with the user. Maybe you forget to ask the question of, hey, like, when does this need to go into effect? And even if you do, you get some sort of, oh, like next quarter or a few quarters from now. So you put in some arbitrary close date. And I think I'm working with my team and I know Stripe is, is very cognizant of this, of just very good deal hygiene. And what that really amounts to, or you know, sort of at our core is what is driving this particular date? And if we don't have answers to those questions, that's fine, but we probably shouldn't be at this stage in the sales process, right? We don't know when a certain deal is going to close. And so 
I think that's another thing that I'm thinking about is where to spend time is the deals that we know need to close by a certain date or they need to make a decision by a certain date as opposed to, oh yeah, like they've said that they don't really know when they want to make a decision. And that's fine, but we probably shouldn't be spending you know, all of our energy on those deals or the energy that we do spend is trying to get them to understand, trying to get the, the prospect to understand when they need to make a decision. Of course, a deal can't be in the pipeline for like ever. <laughs> You're just wasting time on that. You have this, so every SDR or an executive has this thing. If I have a deal in the pipeline and I keep working on it, it's going to give me some result, but that's not usually the case. And I think you've hit the nail on the head by asking the right question. (laughs) No, it's so true. And, you know, hey, now as a manager, I I see it on this side. As an account executive, I think, you know, I've had plenty of those deals of like, oh, yeah, I think it'll close next quarter. So I just put in last day of the quarter, (laughs) which, you know, isn't obviously great anyways. We'd rather have deals close before the last day of the quarter. But it's this arbitrary date. And I think there's this tendency too to, you know, inflate your pipeline a little bit and almost feel like, oh, yeah, I've got call it 10 deals that are set to close next month. I'm feeling really good. But then as you start to go through all of them, it's like, what is driving each of those dates? And if you can't answer those questions, and usually as an account executive, I couldn't answer that question for call it seven of my 10 deals. And I was finding that those seven deals were continuing to push into the next month or into the next quarter. And at some point, you just have to decide, hey, I'm just going to close out these opportunities. And the reality is that then back to time management, what we were talking about earlier, great. I'll focus on these three deals I'll focus on, you know, nurturing these seven opportunities, but then that frees me up and I have more time and more focus to go after net new businesses that aren't yet talking to us. So working into my territory, working into my named account. But sometimes that we're, we're led to this false sense of security where we're looking at our inflated pipeline and it feels good, but then the end of quarter shows up and it doesn't feel as good. And that's a very scary proposition. It brings back yeah. a lot of memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So Zach, is there a book, blog, or newsletter that you'd love to recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So Transparency Sale, I guess this past year has been, with COVID, a great year of me reading various sales books. So I'll give out a few. The Transparency Sale, as I mentioned earlier, I thought was was really great. And I believe Todd is going to launch a manager version of the book in the coming few months, or I guess a few quarters. So that'll be exciting. Another one that helped me as, a, as an account executive was Inbound Selling, uh, which is written by Brian Signorelli, who's a, I think, a VP or a director of sales at HubSpot, and just really helped in terms of really relevant for any AE that deals with a lot of inbound leads, but doesn't necessarily have you know, tons of quality inbound leads, but it's just a lot of inbound and trying to navigate that inbound sales motion. I think is a really helpful read. And then two for managers that I'd call out, Cracking the Sales Management Code was a really good read, I guess, not to distill it to a spark notes, but really trying to think about the inputs that we can coach to as sales managers as opposed to the outputs. I know that's cliche to say, and anything you read from any good leader is they coach and manage the the inputs and the process as opposed to the actual results. But yeah, it does so in a, in a very good sales way, as opposed to, you know, maybe some sports analogies that I can use. And then the first 90 days for any new manager. I was a new manager two years ago. I read this book. It was a really insightful read to understand what the landscape would look like as a manager. And I think not just for new managers, but also for, you know, if you are a manager that's joining a new company or a leader that's joining a new company. I think that's a really helpful read as well, just to understand how to be impactful in your first 90 days. So thank you for sharing those recommendations. I'm sure our listeners would uh, check them out and definitely I would be checking them out as well. Cool. 
So Zach, any three individuals in B2B tech or those who run GTM teams you would like to recommend we bring onto the show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got three. First is Kirk Giddens. He is VP of commercial sales at Trip Actions. Kirk and I, we sort of started our career around the same time. We were both SDRs at Zendesk. And so it's been great to see his career grow pretty significantly from those days and now leading quite a large team over at Trip Actions and they're just killing it. So would recommend talking to him. He's got a lot of great ideas as to how to run commercial teams. The second would be Eric Polzine. So he hired me at Xamarin. He was senior director of partner and channel sales when we were acquired by Microsoft. He spent a few years at Microsoft, still, I guess, technically there as an enterprise account executive at GitHub. But Great human being. Also built the entire consulting partner and channel sales team from scratch at Xamarin. So it would be really insightful to talk to to help with other folks that are looking to build that type of muscle. And then the last one would be my boss, Matt Yalowitz. He's been at Stripe longer than I have. He's been at Stripe for six years. He's seen the sales team evolve and grow from early day sales, I think before we even called it sales, or maybe he joined as the founding member of the sales team to what it is today. He now leads a team of you know over 50 people or so. I mean, it's been pretty incredible to see his career grow and watch him develop at Stripe. And he would be a great person to talk to. My team would definitely reach out to these individuals and try to get them on the show. Awesome. So Zach, some of our listeners would be interested in getting in touch with you after this recording. You know, some of them might have certain queries or just love to connect with you to discuss certain points. So what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very active on, on LinkedIn and email. I'm not the most active Twitter persona, though I, I consume on Twitter. So LinkedIn and email, probably the best. My LinkedIn, you can share in the show notes, linkedin.com slash Zach Sazinski, Z-A-C-K, not H. And then my email, Z-A-C-K-C at stripe.com, Zach C at stripe.com. Yeah, very active on, on both those channels. So would love to get in touch with anybody that wants to talk anything uh, go-to-market sales stripe tech related thank you for being part of our show like i really enjoyed having this discussion with you and thank you for spending your time with us of course thanks so much for inviting me and including me looking forward to, to future guests and listening to the podcast thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of sunny side up if you liked what you heard please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 